In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If I were trained in singing, and even more, if I was standing in front of you in a pulpit right now, I'd sing. I'd start this sermon by imitating John the Baptist as he sings his way across the Brooklyn Bridge in the opening scene of the 1973 movie adaptation of the off-Broadway musical Godspell. God, I love that scene and so many other scenes in that film. God comes to Manhattan via the pedestrian walkway on the Brooklyn Bridge. I'd sing to you right now. I'd sing like I was jumping off the 31 bus on Wisconsin Avenue. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. If you're a student of the Bible, you probably know that the character of John the Baptist appears not just in the opening scenes of the movie Godspell, but also in the Bible, proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come near, that the people of God should prepare a way for the Lord, to prepare a way by making a straight way for God to come. You also know that the Baptist isn't inventing those words. They're not his own. John is quoting or remembering, so to speak, the book of the prophet Isaiah. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for, for our God. Even geekier students of the Bible might know that as the evangelist we know as Mark presents John, not only does the Baptist remember the words of the prophet Isaiah, he also remembers another prophet, the prophet Malachi, who also called for the people of God to prepare a way for the Lord. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare a way before me. In contrast to Isaiah, Malachi's prophetic message wasn't directed to a people in the wilderness, but rather to a people in the city of Jerusalem where the temple was. In other words, the prophet Isaiah preached to a people longing to return to their temple, and Malachi preached to a people who had been allowed to return already. We might think about that, about our future, about whether any of it may or may not be relevant to the situation of our own day, of our own church and our own temple. If I'm being too subtle here, what we might think about is the fact that three biblical prophets in three distinct circumstances each offer the very same advice to people who are looking for God. If you prepare a way for the Lord God to come, God will come. Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah to be more specific, offers that advice to the survivors of the exile who are looking for God in the wilderness of Babylon. Malachi offers that advice to the former exiles looking for God in the temple in Jerusalem. And five centuries later, as the author of the Gospel of Mark points out, go and read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 again if you need to. John offers that advice to the people in the wilderness of Judea and to the people from the city and to the people from the city of Jerusalem all of whom are looking for God and none of whom, as of yet, have found God. Now, given the fact that we find ourselves in the season of Advent and that most of us listening to this recorded service consider ourselves to be Christian, 
if I were evangelical, at least in the way that the capitalized version of that word is used, I might continue this sermon with a meditation on the ways that we might prepare a way for Jesus this Christmas. Let every heart prepare him room, as the beautiful Christian hymn goes. Or I might say that like the people of Isaiah and Malachi and John's day, if we have yet to find God, maybe that's because we've been looking for love in all the wrong places, to quote that silly and stupid pop song. That if we've missed or have yet to experience God, it's because we haven't yet found Jesus. We haven't made room for Jesus in our hearts. I suppose this could well be the truth. And while Mark might agree with such a proposition, neither Jesus nor the Hebrew prophets Isaiah or Malachi would. And if one gives any weight to other sorts of prophets or their predictions, in this case, I'm referring to the Episcopalian priest and seminary professor Dwight Jiley, as recently reported by the Episcopal News Service. If we, we being the mainline Protestant church, that is, continue our current trajectory in a matter of 30 years or so, our temples will be empty. No one will deem the church a suitable place to search for the truth of God. That's a dire prediction, I know. And I don't want to be a downer. I'd rather, as I stated at the outset of this reflection, sing to you, but to use a paraphrase from the Apollo 13 days, Houston, we have a problem. Now, to say we have a problem is, in my mind, or could be at least, the beginning of the process that the prophets from the Hebrew and the Christian Testaments call for when they tell us to prepare a way for the Lord. Acknowledging, confessing, or owning a problem is the beginning of finding the problem solution. Whether the issue is local, national, or global, whether the problem is personal, familial, or cultural, and whether, hear this, please, the problem is spiritual, denominational, ecclesiological, doctrinal. The sum of the experiences that any of our lives represents, yours, mine's, anyone's, amounts to what is less than microscopic when compared to the events throughout human history. More, all of human life, when it comes to the history of all that God has created for a believer, constitutes less than a yard of grass if time were measured by the length of a football field. That said, in my lifetime, it seems as though that while the church has sometimes offered alternative ways of being to the problems of society and to the problems of culture, the opposite has sometimes been the case as well. Issues related to gender and sexuality are just one example. With just a modicum of thought, these examples multiply, as do their historical reach. The problem with all people, after all, as the Bible says, does go back to the very beginning. And the truth is, 
I don't know whether we find God or that God finds us. And that answering either of those questions in the affirmative gets problematic pretty quickly. But I do know this. I know that our oldest and our most fundamental calling as Christians is a call to holiness. To be holy as God is holy. I also know that the simplest definition of holiness is this. Holiness is hospitality towards God. Holiness is living in such a way that God is comfortable in our midst. The diaries of Eddie Halesim were published posthumously. Eddie was not a survivor of her wilderness, of the world's wilderness. And her diaries trace a search for God which began in the Netherlands and ended in Auschwitz. You cannot help us. We must help you to help ourselves. And that is all we can that is all we can manage these days. And also, all that really matters, she writes, we must safeguard that little piece of you, God, in ourselves. And he also wrote, God is safe, God is in safe hands with us, despite everything. She wrote that in September of 1943, two months before she died. Eddie's words are words that to me sound remarkably like words that might have been said by Jesus as Jesus was led to the cross. Despite everything, God is safe with me. Sisters and brothers, as we approach the season in which we celebrate the hope that God will come into our midst, May each of us prepare God room. May each of us be hospitable to God's presence. I ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A holy advent to you. And an amen.